Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Rich, and I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. It is uh, it's a joy to be with you. Thank you for joining us. The sun is kind of peeking out this morning, and uh, I really appreciate you making the efforts to be here. As you arrived, you should have received a bulletin. Inside there, I want to point out a blank space on the inside right that is there for you. It's designed for you to take notes, jot down questions, verses, ideas, doodle, whatever you need to do uh, to stay engaged with this morning's teaching. That's there for you, so please take advantage of it. Today, we are launching a brand new sermon series in the Gospel of Mark, and it is the perfect follow-up to Easter. An event has taken place that radically changes the way we look at and experience the world, and Mark cannot wait to tell us about it. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, has risen from the dead, and as one commentary described it, this book is written with an air of breathless excitement in nearly every sentence. The sooner we get the message, the better off we'll be, for the message is incredibly good. God is here right now. He's on our side. Everything Jesus said and did is true. The message, the gospel, the good news must be shared and lived out. Now, you may not realize this, and and, and Brian shared this, but we are in a season or a time of Easter. Contrary to what you might think, Easter is not a day, and it's definitely not over. If you've been with us for some time, you know we just came out of a season called Lent, which literally means springtime. It's a time that's calling all of us to symbolically press on into the wilderness of life, to trust to rely on God, to be challenged as the work of God is at work deep within us, preparing us for what is to come bursting to life on Easter with the resurrection. And last week, the season of Lent literally exploded open to life. Celebration, proclamation, worship, baptism, you name it. We celebrated what we've been waiting for in the Lenten season had finally arrived, the risen Christ, the resurrected from the dead, paying the price and debt for the sin of all humanity, past, present, future, changing the world as we know it. It was fantastic. Two services, jam-packed, celebrating. But this day we call Easter, again, isn't a day. It's a season, traditionally known as Eastertide, that begins with the resurrection and goes 50 days with its end on Pentecost Sunday. That's the day when there was this incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the early followers of Christ, launching this nonstop, amazing outward movement of the church as we know it still today. And I got to tell you, these next nine weeks, I'm very excited about what we're going to be learning as we dive into this book I think what God's going to be doing as we study and apply this to our daily lives is going to be amazing. And much like the season of Eastertide, this time is designed as a process to to see the effects that the resurrection has on us in our day-to-day lives. It's not something we should just know about. It should shape and move how we live and breathe in our day-to-day. And that's what the Gospel of Mark is all about. So before we dive in, though, Uh, I'm going to pray, and hopefully you received a little half sheet. You don't need to look at that right now. That's more for you for later. It's just some helpful information that we'll get into, but I want to make sure you got that as well. I'm going to open us in prayer. Father, Son, Spirit, as we are in this place 
we recognize you are here as well. As we breathe, Holy Spirit, we recognize your presence. And God, as we look at your word, we pray that we would have ears to hear and a response as a result. That it would not just come in and go out, but that it would come in and we would go out as a responding people. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So before we get into the specific text that we're going to look at today, it's important to look at some details about this book that we need to understand as we're going to be studying. So first, a little bit about Mark. There's only 10 verses in the entire New Testament making mention of Mark. But what's amazing is there's still enough to create sufficient information about this person. The first thing we know is obviously he is the author of this gospel. We also know from scripture that he is the cousin of Barnabas and the son of Mary who provided a meeting place for the early Christians. Mark was a kid when Jesus was crucified, but soon pulled into and engulfed into this movement. And it was clear in Acts where Mark accompanied Barnabas and Saul on the first missionary journey. But during that time, he messed up, departed early into Jerusalem. So after the Jerusalem council, Barnabas and Paul were planning on making a second journey where Barnabas wanted to take Mark again. But Paul was opposed to the idea because of what happened on this first journey. Consequently, Barnabas takes Mark. Paul chooses someone else, takes Silas, and the two groups go their separate ways. After Barnabas gave his cousin this second chance, though, now Mark, in his 40s, living in Rome, is brought back into the fold, if you will, and now he is working again with Peter and Paul, the movement's most influential people at the time. Paul was later able to, and scriptures refer to Mark as a co-worker who was helpful to his ministry. And Mark clearly shared a special relationship with Peter because not only does Peter later in scripture call him his son, but they both have shared experiences of both failure and amazing restoration. Now, it's around this time, though, this disaster strikes and a huge fire comes and destroys almost half of Rome. And the emperor at the time, Nero, diverts the blame of this to this unpopular group of early Christ followers. And as a result, many, including Peter, are brutally executed. And as a result, Mark spent several years collecting Peter's memories of Jesus. And now with this urgency of persecution driving him, Mark writes down this whole story as we have it today called the Gospel of Mark. The book is primarily written to Christians in Rome, which is something Mark knows about. And it included many non-Jews who needed to understand the traditions of Jewish Palestine because without understanding those fully, it's hard to fully understand who Jesus was. And so these Christians at the time in Rome endured discrimination, severe persecution by Nero, and many people had these nasty rumors about them that they were having to live with. And even worse... These people are now facing great harsh interrogation and potential death. And so as Mark writes this, this this gospel shows a picture of a God who is present, who is on their side, who is actively desiring to help them, who is a very human son of God, who had suffered for the very sake that they were all worried about dying for, and that is death. 
Now, the Gospel of Mark, when it's written, it's understood, first off, to be the first of the four Gospels ever written, Luke being the last. Most likely, Mark was put together in the early, mid, early to mid-50s A.D., with the Gospel of Luke being placed in the late 50s to early 60s, and Luke's book on Acts in the early 60s A.D. And the purpose that Mark gives us for this gospel is stated in the very first words of the book, and that is to compose this good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He wants everyone to understand and experience the reality of who Jesus is so much that not only does he put it in the very first verse, he bookends it. And you can see this with the centurion at the cross as he confesses at the very end in chapter 15, surely this man was the son of God. Now, some other fun, notable facts to keep in mind about this gospel as we're in it for the next nine weeks. Mark's gospel is given in the form of a story. And because it's the first of the gospel, it's the earliest of its specific type of genre, which is pretty cool. It's written in a tell-it-like-it-is style. Its actions speak louder than words, and it kind of feels like a 30-minute show on primetime TV, fast-moving, constantly changing, action-packed. For example, the word immediately shows up in Mark 41 times, and as a comparison, only 19 times in the entire New Testament, not including Mark. So he's moving. Mark is heavily weighted towards Jesus' miracles as opposed to his teachings. So you're going to see a lot of those stories. Six of his 16 chapters are dedicated to the final eight days of Jesus' life. It's important. Mark's gospel is the most chronological of the four gospels. And at 16 chapters and about 600 plus verses, Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. As an example, Matthew and Luke repeat all but 31 verses of the entire Gospel of Mark. One commentary I love noted this about Mark, which is that the disciples in Mark serve as comic relief, characterized as severely dense. I thought that was pretty hilarious. Severely dense. Jesus gets alone with his disciples over 20 times in this book. Very relational. Mark constantly shows, and we're going to see this today, this relationship that's important to have. Both a right confession, understanding who, who Jesus is, that he's the son of God, along with the right response, which is following him. And we're going to see that over and over again. People we see in the scriptures of Mark respond to Jesus with amazement or astonishment 20 plus times. Jesus affects roughly 20 individuals in these one-on-one -on -one situations in the book, which I love. The term follow comes up 17 times in Mark. And the notion of wanting occurs 24 times, coming to a head with Jesus' words in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he says, not what I want, but what you want. Now, the thing I want you to see as we end, though, is that this gospel is heavily characterized by action and reaction. And the best way to describe this is kind of like a scene where Jesus is talking, and, and Mark has a cameraman, and he zooms in on whatever Jesus is saying or doing, and we're focused in, but then afterwards, the camera pans back out to get the reaction of the people. 
And we see this almost all the time. The impression is almost that the response of the audience is as important as what Jesus is doing to provoke those things. And we're going to see that today. So if you have a Bible, though, uh, you can open it to the first page of Mark. We're going to start in chapter 1. We're going to focus specifically on verses 14 through 20, but it's important to recap what happens in the first 13 verses. So if you have that, you can turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 1. And what you're going to see in the very beginning is there's no genealogy, there's no birth Christmas story, there's no anything about Jesus' early life. We simply get the point of the book and its connection to the Old Testament. And if you don't have scripture, it's going to be behind me. You can follow along. It goes like this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, and is written in Isaiah the prophet. Quote, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appears in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. It continues on, verse 7. And this was the message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now cut and scene. That's scene one. And it quickly moves on to scene two with verse nine. It says this, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth into Galilee and was baptized by John the Baptist, or John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now quickly we should notice that already in just a short amount of verses we are seeing Jesus' identity as the son of God. Cut. Scene two is done. Now we quickly move into scene three. At once or immediately is the word, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Cut. Right? Just like that, 40-plus days goes by in one sentence. Without hesitation, Mark is on a mission. Right? He's picking up pace already. Next scene, he tells us in verse 14 that after John the Baptist was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's the end of a scene. It's like the commercial kicked in again. You're like, I'm trying to stay focused here. And then it moves on one more time to verse 16, and it says this. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed and scene. Can you feel how Mark wastes no time at all with his stories? Here we are, 20 verses in, 
We already see him declared as the son of God twice. We see him baptized. The Holy Spirit comes and acknowledges who he is. We see him tempted for 40 days. And now he's putting his entire team together to reach the world. Why? Because the time has come. 20 verses. Now I hope that you can see that although the text is very short and sweet, it doesn't lack content. There's a ton. There's so much that could be said. Almost every word has a purpose that Mark chooses. Uh, We don't obviously have time to go through each word. You're welcome. Uh, But we are going to focus on some things that I think are important for us today. And that's particularly looking at this message that Jesus is proclaiming, the call that he is inviting us into, the response these people have to the call, and ultimately what it means to us, 2017. So... Stick with me. We're going to first start off with this message. What is Jesus saying? It says this in scripture. Jesus says, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The message translates it this way. Time's up. God's kingdom is here. Change your life and believe the message. Now, Jesus can say the kingdom of God is near because he is the king. He's the king. He's present right there. He can say it. The ruling power that emanates from God himself is now in the flesh present for all to see and experience. Now, Jesus will revisit this subject of the kingdom of God in chapter 4, where he'll give a much bigger description of that. But what I want us to see is it's right now. The Son of God, the King, the Messiah is present right now. The wait is over. This isn't a past tense conversation. This isn't future. It's now, and it's still true for all of us today. Now, there's this call that comes into play. And the first thing to note about this call is that God pursues us, not the other way around. God sees these men... He pursues them. He invites them. And I hope you hear this as good news. God wants a relationship with us, wants a relationship with them. He knows us fully. He finds us. He loves us. He wants to connect with us. He wants to partner with us, to use us. And he sees us as worthy of being ambassadors of his message and who he is. So I want us to see this is where the call starts and is initiated by Jesus to us. Now, you may not think you're good enough. You may not think you're disciple material. And the truth is, on your own, you're not. Neither am I, nor were any of the people he talked with. And that's where these two verbs, repent and believe, come into play. The two verbs in the second part of Jesus' call are what we call present tense imperatives, implies a continued and repeated action. Keep on repenting. Keep on believing. And these two verbs are linked together on purpose and are never to stop being done together. We tend to hear one verb, repent, all the time, right? Without believe. But that's not the way it's communicated here. Repentance, properly understand, understood, is what we call an I can't experience, rather than an I can experience. So 
if you think of it this way, if repentance is promising God, I can do better, right? Then you're just trying to keep yourself in control of your life. Because if we can do better, we don't need a gracious God. We only need a patient one who will wait long enough for us to actually do whatever it is we keep saying we're going to do that we don't do, right? Rather, when we come to God before him, repenting, turning, confessing, saying, I can't do better, then we're dying to ourselves. We're owning ourselves. We're owning truth. We're giving up control of our lives, which, don't get me wrong, is not easy at all. But what we're doing is throwing our lives to the mercy and the good grace of God. We are inviting God to come into our life and do the things that we cannot do ourselves. Namely, change, recreate us, rise from the dead, make all things new. Only Christ can ultimately do this in us. However, the flip side of I can't is believing the gospel that God can. That's why these two verbs are connected. They're nonstop verbs, always repenting and always believing all the time. And there's other examples of this in Scripture, particularly in Mark. For example, the synagogue leader who believes and his 12-year-old daughter is restored to life. Or the father of a son of an unclean spirit who believes but praise help my unbelief, and his son is cured. All this to say is that one of the core messages we're going to see in Mark is this statement, this prayer that this father makes, which is this idea, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. It's a call to repent and believe right now at every moment, and this is not at all what any of us want to do or choose to do naturally, right? absolutely countercultural. None of us would choose to give this stuff up on our own. But that's the call. To turn, to repent, to change, and to say that I can't. And we're called to stop, uh, to not stop believing that although we can't, the Son of God can right now at every moment. You can't, God can. And I hope you hear this as incredibly good news, right? Something worth life change, worth proclaiming, worth experiencing. Now, it's with this call that Jesus goes to find his first disciples, and he invites them to come and follow him. But what's interesting is when you look at the scriptures, literally speaking, Jesus doesn't say, follow me. In the Greek, the word is translated, come behind me. It's this word behind that's a spatial term that means to stand or walk behind someone. So the command come behind me is kind of a way of saying, make Jesus the most important thing in your life. Even one's own self comes second behind Jesus. What's interesting is the same word that is used here is also used by Jesus when he rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have the mind or the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. It's a picture of priority and a proper order. It's not getting ahead of ourselves and realizing we need to put God first. Why? Because we're in a place where we're constantly repenting, constantly confessing, I can't, and believing in the one who can, the one who is present, who's here, 
the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus. But how are these call stories kind of related to Jesus's proclamation? Well, what we see is that in every situation, what follows a call from Jesus is the authority and power of Jesus's word to do exactly what he said he's going to do. And we've learned this before. Jesus invites us to believe something, calls us, and we have the opportunity then to faithfully respond in obedience, even if that means stumbling. And it's out of that step of faith that then the power of God is made manifest. And so we see this often in Mark as well. Immediately following uh, this faithful response from people, we see Jesus do all kinds of things. He rebukes and casts out an unclean spirit with a word. Or he heals Simon's mother-in-law. Or he cures many who are sick and casts out other demons. Or he heals a leper. Or he forgives and heals the paralytic. There's this response that comes once we faithfully step forward. Which leads me to the response to the message and this call that we see in the scripture. So, given the power of Jesus' words in these following events, it's not surprising then that the invitation to follow is met with this immediate faithful obedience. It's indication that the kingdom is present in that moment, right? That the power of God present is ruling. It's a power that rules over people and spirits and diseases. It can rule over everything. It's the power of God. With a word from Jesus, they succumb to the power. And this is why no one can come to Jesus except through the power and invitation of the Holy Spirit. But what I want us to note here is that Jesus doesn't encounter any of these people in a religious sphere. But in the midst of their everyday life, where they live and where they work, right? They weren't at church. They weren't praying. They weren't looking for Jesus or for any rabbi or teacher for that matter. They could care less. They were doing their own thing. So knowing this, do you think these people were certain about what they were getting themselves into? Or did they choose to follow Jesus' call as a matter of faithful obedience, trust in something uncertain in their future? I believe what we're seeing time and time again here is this stumbling, faithful obedience moving forward. And I don't know about you, I read this story whenever I see them dropping everything, leaving dad, their employment, their whatever, I'm always challenged, to say the least. Is there ever going to be a moment where I would feel that way, whether it's to Jesus or to any call, for that matter? But it's really important to note that Peter and Andrew, James and John, all responded ultimately with haste. While their initial response was immediate, the text later demonstrates that they certainly didn't know what they were getting themselves into. And although these disciples followed Jesus immediately, the rest of the gospel shows that they failed to consider the cost. And the cost turned out to be too high. They all abandoned Jesus before ultimately coming back to him. Now, if you think about it, is there anyone else in the New Testament that endeavored on a journey without fully considering the cost? Mark, the person who wrote this very book. If we remember again, when Paul and Barnabas embarked on the first missionary journey, they chose to take along 
Barnabas's cousin, Mark, the author of this book. And during that first journey, Mark abandons Paul and Barnabas, presumably because things got tough. Anyone ever made a commitment and things got tough? And you're like, and I'm out. Yeah, we can be there. Could it be that Mark had signed on too quickly? Could it be that he failed to consider the cost? Now, fortunately, Barnabas, as a picture of God's grace, saw fit to invite Mark to join him on yet another challenging journey. This time, Mark considers the cost, and he goes and sees success. Likewise, if we take these other disciples who follow Jesus immediately, it's not far long later where they abandon Jesus just as quickly in Gethsemane. Now, I want to be clear. There isn't anything wrong with following immediately. But I think what we're going to see over and over again in the scriptures is how important it is to count the cost. And what we see in the gospel of Mark is that he places a much higher priority on a lasting response than an immediate one. Which gets me to our so what for the day. What does this have to do with me right now? And so with that, I want to share four things I want to challenge you to ponder with regards to our time together. The first is that I want you to hear that because of the resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom of God is at hand, present, right now, intersecting with everything you do at every moment of the day. It's not somewhere in the future. It's not stuck in the past. It's now, right here when you're at work, when you're in your car, when you're at school, when you're with your family, with your neighbors, when you think you're alone, you're not alone. The kingdom of God is here. So knowing that, how do you respond? That's something to be thinking about. Again, there's a response that's important. Now, the second thing is that the good news for today in every moment of the day is experienced through this call to repeat to repeat, to repent and repeat, and believe and repeat. To say, I can't, and believe that God can, over and over again. What might this look like in your day-to-day life? To be countercultural and honest at the same time, owning and acknowledging the realities that you can't do this life on your own. You know it, I know it. Everyone knows it. None of us can do it, right? We're not surprising anyone. So why not be honest? Why not continue to repeat, God, I cannot do this on my own, but I believe that you can. I hope that you hear. This is not Debbie Downer moment, right? This is not where we all just drown in our inadequacies. Rather, this is the gift of incredible freedom and release as we allow God to do the things in us we cannot do. And nothing is more exhausting than trying over and over again to do something you can't do, right? We've all been there. But on the other hand, nothing is more freeing and restful than saying, I just can't do this. And having someone release you from it and then come alongside and do what that impossible task was on your behalf. So remember that these two verbs are critical to hold together. Repent and believe. I can't and I believe that God can 
all the time, at every moment of the day, this is an offer of incredible grace and love to be celebrated and experienced and lived out. Now, third, the more we live into this moment-by-moment, nonstop experience of the kingdom of God present in our life, and the more we enjoy this release of I can't and hold on to the truth that God can, the more we belong to follow and come behind Jesus and his leading, the more we'll be motivated to quit trying to do it on our own. But it's important to remember that this is never going to happen if we're constantly putting our ways before God, if we're getting ahead of God, if you're trying to do everything on your own. I have kids, and if you've ever played follow the leader, get behind me, follow along, and they, there's, there's something natural, like they want to get in front of them. Like, you don't even know where I'm taking you, but they want to get ahead, right? And we do this with everything. What does it look like for you to allow Jesus to be the first and you come behind and follow? And the last thing I want us to ponder is that all of this that we've talked about today, this message, the call, the response, it's all initiated by all the time at every moment of the day by Jesus. The resurrected Jesus even now is pursuing you, calling you, inviting you. Why? Well, because he knows and loves you more fully than you can imagine. Because he knows you can't do it on your own. And he wants to help you experience life to the full by the power of the Holy Spirit, doing the things in and through you by faith that you cannot do without him. He wants to partner with you in making all things new, including yourself. That is some good news. The God of the universe, the one who created everything, sees you, pursues you, loves you, wants to have a relationship with you. That is something to celebrate. Now, what I want you to do is imagine a camera zooming in on Jesus. And I want you to see what he's saying. And he's saying it to each and every one of us. So the the camera zooming in on Jesus. And Jesus says, the time is now. God's kingdom is here. Change your life and believe the message and follow me. And now imagine the camera pulling back so that it can capture the response of the people. That's us. And this is the situation that's happening at every moment. Jesus is inviting us to hear and he's inviting us to respond. I'm going to invite the worship and prayer team to come forward. And as they do, if you could open your bulletins up, inside there is that connection card. On the back, there's a section. And that's what I would really love to hear from you. Um, Two questions, and you could answer one or both. You don't have to write a ton. And as you leave today, you could drop it in one of the wood boxes. But, But the questions I have for you is, what did you hear? What do you hear? The time is now. God's kingdom is here. Change your life and believe the message. Follow me. What did you hear stick out to you today? But the follow-up is just as important. How do you respond? And I don't want you to come up with some big detailed, over the next 10 years, I'm going to blah, blah, blah. What's your response right now? 
and I would love to hear from you, and I would love to pray for you. Um, so if you would fill that out, that would be fantastic. If you would like prayer, right, again, acknowledging you can't do this on your own and asking God to help you, that's what our prayer team's here for. Come on up. We're going to end with one more song and celebrate the good news that we've heard today. But before we do, let me pray. Father, Son, Spirit, our ears have heard from you through your Holy Spirit that the time is now that your kingdom is present. The resurrected Messiah, Son of God, Jesus, is here in our midst through your Holy Spirit. And you're challenging us and calling us again to change our life to acknowledge the truth that we can't and believe the truth that you can. This message is for us. It's for all. And you invite us to follow you with it wherever you go. God, as that father prayed, I believe, help my unbelief. We pray the same thing and ask that you would continue to be with us. Help us to be aware of it in our day-to-day life that it would change us and transform us. Help us to focus on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.